powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Hello and welcome to Game Over Montreal, another Montreal Canadiens loss. It's been a tough march for the Montreal Canadiens, but as Team Tank knows, that's a, a good thing for this team long term. Moving down the standings is actually positive right now. So hey, good good vibes only in the chat tonight. We've got lots to talk about. Uh, I think it's going to be fun to talk about a few different things that I've got on the table here at to do with this game, but also not. It, trust me, it'll be good. And uh, we're going to talk about Jonathan Druin, obviously, uh, missing pra- missing a mandatory meeting and then being benched uh, the entire game. Thoughts about that? Uh, we'll open it up to the chat as well. I'm joined by Suleiman Ahmed today. It's going to be a fantastic show. If you don't know about him, I will tell you about him after we bring you in. But uh, before we do that, it's March Mania at Sports Interaction. NHL, NBA, March Madness, and so much more. It's bananas. Play pinata picks and Minute Madness exclusive games with insane odds you can't play anywhere else. Make your next bet with Sports Interaction. Download the app in Ontario using the QR code you see at the bottom of the screen or head to sportsinteraction.com sdpn to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. All right, let's welcome in our guest now. Suleiman, how are you? Andrew, thanks for having me. It's uh, my pleasure. For those who don't know, uh, and if you remember last season, one of our favorite uh, guests that we had on was Shireen. This is Shireen's brother. And if you don't know much about Suleiman, if you remember the whole conquer COVID-19 thing that was going on, that started with Suleiman and his family. And he's a huge Habs fan. Let's tell everyone, let's get started this way, uh, Suleiman. How did you and Shireen become Habs fans not growing up in, in Quebec? So we grew up in the East Coast, uh, Nova Scotia and Halifax, and it was actually my mom. Uh, so when mom came to Canada in 72, she had never really seen ice hockey. And so that was in the early 70s, mid 70s with uh, the heydays of the Flying Frenchman. So Guy Lafleur, Jacques Lamel, Steve Shutt, Colnoyer, um, Robinson, Savard, Lapointe, Dryden, Larocque. So all of those players, Ganey. Uh, she um, she she followed the team and became a, a very big Habs fan, which is kind of funny when you see this little Pakistani woman who's watching the Montreal Canadiens and screaming in Urdu at the television when the Habs are losing. And I don't know if uh, one story that's in her family was there was like if you've ever I don't know Andrew if you've ever been to like an Indian wedding at all. One, yeah, it was awesome. So it's big, right? Like it's big. There's just like massive. They do orchestrated dance scenes, Bollywood. So what happens is the girl side and the guy side typically practice or rehearse the dance routines. It's like a dance-off thing, right? So people come to our house, big screen TV, everyone's set to practice the routine. Mom walks in with their food, sits down, changes the channel, Hockey Night in Canada, Montreal, and the Bruins were in the playoffs. End of the dance party. (laughs) <laughs> everyone's around that's fantastic sorry's and and things and all ready to go and i was like f that like i'm watching it's montreal and boston and so they had to like get a boom box or something to practice until the intermission after coach's corner then they were allowed to briefly and then the game started and mom was sitting down again so it, it started with her um she got us into hockey and, and watching hockey, and uh, she's a big fan. And we were lucky a couple of years ago. Um, we actually got to take her to Montreal to see her first game. She got to meet her idol, Guy Lafayette, so it was awesome. 
Yeah, it's it's always cool to hear stories from people who like grew up not not necessarily around the game or not necessarily around the team, right? And like found their way there. Like for me, I grew up in Saskatchewan and Alberta. So my my story was was different than somebody like born and bred in Montreal, right? Like my great grandmother who lived in <clears throat> just a small farming community in Saskatchewan, she was a Habs fan. So when she grew up, like it was without electricity. That's how old she was. She passed away uh, a few years ago now. She was 104. Nice. And, uh, you know, amazing, amazing life. Always fun to hear her stories and stuff like that. But, you know, for her, it was like listening to the radio. Foster Hewitt. Yeah. Before even like back, like I don't even know who the broadcaster would be, but growing up when the Canadians were young, a a young Spitfire team, right? (laughs) It's not uh, the legendary uh, cup chasing teams of the seventies or even today where they're trying to recapture that glory. It's the infancy of the organization. It's fun to see, to hear how people come to it, it to me. Anyway, I don't know if everybody agrees, but I do. All right, let's get this one out of the way. Uh, Sulan, because I feel like people want to hear about it. The whole Jonathan Duran thing. Uh, there's argument here in the comments about whether he missed the meeting or if he was late to a meeting. I think it was just late, but it was a mandatory meeting. Martin St. Louis said this is something that he couldn't compromise on. It's mandatory. And he was initially going to be scratched, but because uh, Caden Gooley couldn't go tonight, injured in the last game against Florida, Drouin was in the lineup but sat on the bench the entire time. I actually think the the best take I've seen from this is actually from Eric Angles from Sportsnet. Uh, He's currently not at the game. He's uh, celebrating his 40th birthday back home in Montreal. But he says two things. One, people are late to meetings sometimes, and it's almost always accidental. Don't think there's anything more to it than that. But it's, number two, non-negotiable for Martin St. Louis, and he has to enforce his policy. Somewhat ironic that it happened with Drouin in Tampa of all places. But again, things like this happen every season and are typically dealt with accordingly, and it's no more than that. What do you think? Yeah, I I agree with Eric. But I I, I like the fact that... uh... I don't think he was trying to humiliate Drouin. I think he would have just sat him out if Gouli could dress. But Montreal are the walking wounded. They've got, what, uh, how many seven regular forwards and how many defense are out? And then people worried Anderson was going to be injured tonight. So I, I think that he had to send a message. It doesn't matter if you're a rookie with a young team or a veteran player. And I, I think he he that sends a message to everyone because if he makes an exception for Drouin then if a rookie walks in or Gouli or somewhere Slavkovsky next year turns around and is late what's he going to do yeah uh Renault Lois just reported that Drouin didn't hear his alarm clock and was two minutes late to the meeting I mean that sucks but mandatory is mandatory that like that makes sense that that's what it was right like sometimes Uh, mistakes happen Mistakes happens, but there's an expression to coach, like for my son's team, we coach, we tell them, if you're earlier on time, you're on time, you're late, you're late, you're running. Yep. Yep. And like the way I was always raised was if you're not 15, 10 or 15 minutes early, you're late. So, I mean, being late is a huge pet peeve of mine. Like if I'm late, I feel awful. Like it just, I, I had a meeting earlier in the summer and I got in a car accident in the morning. And I was going to be late. And I was like, I still felt terrible <laughs> that I was going to be late. You're like, no matter what the circumstances are, like it, it sucks. Only two minutes. That sucks. But it, he'll be fine. Do you, do this think, makes sense to me. Do you think any other of the players are going to be late in the future? Now Probably not. 
guys homecoming back to or of sorts back to Tampa Bay, team that drafted him, and he sat on the bench the entire game. No one else going to be like two minutes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and Big Bill in the comments says Lavoie also said Drew accepted Martin St. Louis' decision. Yeah, I, I, I don't I have a choice though, Andrew. No, of course not. Of course not. But I feel like it's, it's one of those situations where there are certain people who want to read drama into it, and I don't think this is a very dramatic situation. I think this is a very normal thing that happens once in a while. Unfortunate that it happened to Duran in Tampa Bay, but I think there's also the circumstance that this is a team that's rebuilding. That's not very good. They've had. A few days down in Florida, they're probably getting up to some shenanigans down there, you know, in the warm weather, staying out late, overslept his alarm. It happens. I, 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 I agree with that. I don't, I don't think it's anything more than that, but it's, it's, it's the message has been given. It's received. Like he's not going to tolerate that. So that's 100%. Yeah. Paul in the chat is saying media is already piling on Druin. Yeah, that happens. There's a certain corner of media that will pile on Druin no matter what. But I think the takeaway for Druin right now is that uh, since January, he's actually the Canadian's top point producer. Yeah. So he's doing the right thing. He's uh, working hard. He made one mistake here. He got an appropriate punishment. And tomorrow it's all good again. Yeah, but it'll be on the front page of Journal de Montréal tomorrow in big bold letters, right? <laughs> I'm sure it will, unfortunately. All right. Uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about tonight with uh, Gurianov scoring, with Yelonen scoring, with Hoffman scoring, one thing that's been consistent about this team this year for me is Martin St. Louis being patient with players and putting them in situations to succeed and finding ways to get them going a little bit. And, you know, Hoffman took a long time to get going earlier on this season. There were times where he looked terrible, but uh, has since... You know, I don't know if he's necessarily elevated his production that much, but his two-way play has come a long way. Uh, Gurionov, his goal was great. He's a shoot machine. But what stuck out, to, stuck out to me about that is the same kind of thing as with Hoffman, where, like, Hoffman has diversified his game a little bit to where he's no longer a huge defensive liability, at least at even strength. The Josh Anderson pass to mm. Denis Gurionov on that goal is something Josh Anderson wouldn't even attempt over the last couple of years because he wouldn't shoulder check. He wouldn't find his teammate there. So that little deceptive pass back against the flow of play to Garyanov, it doesn't seem like much, but to a guy who isn't a good playmaker, who doesn't pass very well, who doesn't use his teammates very well, that kind of thing for Josh Anderson, to me, I'm looking at Martin St. Louis and I'm looking at Adam Nicholas and I'm thinking... This is a huge progress point for this organization because if you can get a guy who's very, very much like a ho like they call him the power horse, Josh Anderson, he plays like a horse with the blinders on, right? If you can get him to bite on diversifying his game and expanding his skill set, you can do that for every prospect, for every young player that comes through, and it just elevates the organization piece by piece. I think I think I think Martin Saint Louis has got him believing. No, you actually can be a playmaker. You're not just a power forward. You you actually do have that in you. And I think if the coach or the management gives the players that belief, it doesn't matter whether it's youth hockey or in the National Hockey League, if you tell a player with conviction, I think, that you believe in them, then they start to believe in themselves. Yeah, it is true, right? And if you can get somebody to change a career-long habit, yeah. right? Josh Anderson, I believe, is 28 years old. 
So he's pretty set in his ways right now. He is pretty much what he is. But at the same time, the Canadians have found ways to get him to play better this year in a way that uh, wasn't present in the previous couple of years. Now, whether that's because he had struggled with injuries or whatever, I see so much more versatility to his game now. And that's, you know, it's not just the young kids that we're seeing this with. It's veterans. And I, I think that ability from this coaching staff and this development staff to get veterans to play differently, to change their habits in a game as fast as hockey is like kind of unheard of in the NHL. It's really rare. You, we always hear about in Toronto, right? Like the Toronto Maple Leafs fixed like Alex Galchenyuk in the American Hockey League and stuff like that. And I mean, look what's happened since then. Not so much really, but the Canadians are actually finding ways to do things like that. And it's really impressive in a season where there hasn't been much opportunity to actually get the most out of players because everybody's hurt. Well, but I think it's it's also starts from the top. Like my view is attitude reflects leadership. So if you look at what Jeff Gordon has done, he brought in Hughes, who was not your traditional GM 20 years. Like Jeff Merrick, who I was talking to him earlier today from from uh, 32 Thoughts. And, 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 you know, he made a really good point. Jeff, uh, Jeff was saying, like, if you look at it's not the traditional GM, it's not the traditional coach, because the GM was a player agent. The coach play, coached his kids' minor hockey team. Like he didn't do – Stanton Jr. or college or the AHL. He went straight to the show. And then you've got people like Chantal Maccabé, who was in broadcasting, but she's in hockey communications. I think you were telling me earlier today, Adam Nicholas is coming in skills coach. You've got Marie-Philippe Poulin who's come in. So I think there, it's not, it's can you think differently? Can you think creatively? Can you think outside the box? And I think you're starting to see that seep into the, the culture of the team, which was run a certain way for so many years under Bergevin, that I think you're starting to see a little bit of a, a difference. And and I, I think that's, you know, and then and then I think you start to see improvement. And the other thing I think is, is that teams finally saying we're rebuilding. Like we're not a reset. It's this now a rebuild may not take five years. It could take two or three years now, but it's still a rebuild and, and they're clear. So I think the fans are like, okay, you're not confusing us now at the deadline. You're suddenly dealing up prospects or young players for, you know, something that what win the first round, maybe I think that's where the fans like there's a clear transparency, I think, with the organization on what they're doing, what's going on. And the fans, I think, are a bit more understanding. But I think the test will be in Montreal. How's that going to be in your two and three and four? Are fans and the media going to be patient? Yeah, I think one of the subtle things that kind of shows how patient the, the fans are overall yeah. is the team's kind of been in a stealth rebuild, not of their own choice. For several years now, I mean, yeah. if if not for COVID and the All Canadian Division in yeah. 2021, this team would essentially be on. I believe it's like the fifth straight year that they'd be missing the playoffs. Yeah. So players like Cole Caulfield were taken in years where they did miss the playoffs, right? So there is a prospect pool on this team that's significantly better and deeper than a team that should essentially be entering the second year of its rebuild, right? So they're kind of on the fast track in that way, and they have all this depth to build on. They just need those big stars, and they need players to kind of hit their stride and break into the NHL around the same time. And really what's going to happen is guys like Suzuki and Doc and Caulfield are going to be the, like, the vets who are showing the young kids around, which is crazy to think of because they're still so young. 
but that's where this team's going to be in a couple of years. It, it's going to be really fun to watch. Um, we got a comment from Sebastian Jackson, who's a scout, uh, who's fantastic. And uh, if you have a spare moment, wish Sebastian some luck, everyone, because I, he's going through some some tough situations with his daughter right now. Sophia, who's fantastic, great family, but uh, struggling with some some seizure uh, related issues that have uh, been tough. And she had a seizure actually from the, the board ads earlier this season that Gary Bettman claims everybody loves, obviously not so great for a lot of people. But uh, Sebastian says getting uh, stuff out of players who wouldn't even get claimed off of waivers to start this year, like Belzil and Anthony Richard is a great sign of good coaching and the players comfort with Martin St. Louis. Well, Sebastian, I hope your daughter's okay. And uh, that's a, it's a great point. Um, I, I, I think that's a sign of a good coaching staff though. It's not just San Louis, but it's his assistants that are with them. And um, it's also what they're doing in Laval. And I think that that's, that's something that's like, it also, I think gives a chance. Like on one hand, the injuries are bad, obviously, but now you're getting a look at guys. Like you were telling me earlier, like Harvey Pinar, did anyone think about him before the year started? Did his name ever come up? Maybe a little bit, little? but not to this extent. Not knowing where he's a regular, like he's 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 got a shot to the team next year, right? Doesn't he? I would say he's almost. If he's not written in in pen, he's in a very hard to erase pencil. Yeah. Right. Like so that, he's, that gives players a chance. I think Andrew, like that gives guys a chance that will take a look at you. You could be in the show, right? So I think that's that motivates people that everyone's got a shot, and a veteran, even a veteran like Belziel, has got a shot, right? hundred percent. I mean, Belzil, he's worked so hard. He actually made his like first major mistake. I think of the season tonight, he made a, a pretty terrible giveaway in the third period to Tampa. But for the most part, the, the marquee thing for him is he's an extremely hard worker and very clinical in the way that he handles the puck. So he doesn't make many mistakes. He's not like a high end offensive guy, despite the fact that his offensive production so far this season has been like really spectacular for a fourth liner. I think his on ice shooting percentage is like double league average. So can't really expect that to continue, but he's just put in everything. And he's a guy that, again, some kid is going to have to fight real hard to keep him off the roster next year if the Canadians bring him back, which I assume that they will. Another comment here from the chat from Paul. Aroldi says, I really wish the Canadians would add more diversity of thought to their coaching, or sorry, not coaching, to their scouting staff. Uh, Chris Boucher's voice is all alone. This is something I've thought about a lot uh, because Martin Lapointe is very much a guy who likes his big, tough guys. And there's definitely a, uh, like a feeling out there that Nick Bobrov, who is like co-head of scouting with, the point uh, is about the same. He seems to like guys who are bigger as well. But I think what we're missing with that is we don't actually hear from most of the scouts involved with the team, right? We hear from the guys at the top, but there can still be diversity of thought that we don't hear. So I, I, I do think they need to add, but I'm not sure if we know that they don't have diversity of thought at this point already. Well, but, but like, look at someone like Lane Houston, though. They drafted him. He's not a big player. I mean, he's what, five foot eight or something? Uh, or, or, and, and he's 143 pounds. So uh, I don't like, I mean, he's obviously one player that was drafted, but 
Um, hopefully, they they do have that diversity. And 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 but I'd like to think with the changes in the organization that that's reflected in the scouting staff. So maybe it's just not something we hear about, like you said, right? But he raises a really good point. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I know Kent Hughes talked when he was first took over that there was going to be changes in the organization but like not everything can be done overnight and i think in some ways unfortunately i think that the scouting staff is an area that's a bit more of a slow burn because they can't necessarily just fire guys mid-season or hire guys mid-season there's a somewhat limited pool there of guys that you can that you know and trust because that's the biggest thing about scouting is you are relying on somebody to tell you who you should draft, right? A general manager can't go out there and watch every single game from every single player available. It's just not tenable. So you have to trust that person completely with the information that they're giving you. You have to lean on analytics as well. There's a lot that goes into it. And then you've got the whole development stage that is a wholly different thing, right? And the draft is a crapshoot to begin with, but then there's the whole different part. Like the Canadians for so long have been figure it out, kid, find your own way in. And if you don't, it's your fault as opposed to, Hey, we spent draft capital on this player. Why don't we move heaven and earth to get the most possible out of this asset, out of this person. Now they're more shifting towards that latter point. Right? So it's like they may take bigger players at certain points that maybe aren't the most skilled player available, but will their development staff that they have in place now get more bang for their buck out of that than the previous would have. So it like kind of mix up the gap. It's hard to know at this stage. I, I think since the, the early nineties, the, the issue for the Canadians in my humble opinion, wasn't the drafting. It was their player development was terrible. Their pro yep. scout strong and their, their player development of, of, of amateur youth players uh from minor from from major junior where it wasn't good so it's good to see them invest in that area and i think it's been under service for a long time i think at one point like quebec had two two scouts like quebec yeah yeah it, it's pretty wild they they do need to pay a little bit more attention to what goes on at home but i think that quebec hockey in general needs to be invested in from the ground up. Like there's, there's a reason why there's very few Quebec born players nowadays compared to like the nineties, right? Like it's, it's crazy. Like a Quebec born star barely exists now. Like it, a lot of the guys who are left in the league are in their mid to late thirties. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, One thing that uh, you brought up Lane Hudson, I should say Lane Hudson tonight uh, scored the game-winning goal for BU, which he is he does it all the time. No one should be surprised. This kid, I can't stop hyping him up because, like you and I talked uh, around in the first intermission, Suleiman, about you know like, the pieces that you need going forward and like what the Canadians could be. Lane Hudson is such a key piece to me because he is your future transition and offensive wizard from the back end and. This kid has outproduced guys like Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, Adam Fox in his first year of college. He actually put up almost as many points as McCarr and Hughes combined in their freshman years. And the types of plays that he's making are ridiculous. Like, if you get a chance to see some of the stuff that he's pulled off this year, I highly suggest checking out the highlight reels because he's got shimmy shakes that 
you don't see very often in in players, especially defensemen. He's so smart with and without the puck. And he, how many overtime? Does anybody know how many overtime goals he has this year? Because it seems like every time I know that there's a BU game on, if it goes to overtime, Lane Hudson scores the winner. So if anybody has that, please post it in the chat because he looks like one of those guys that, if the Canadians actually develop him properly. He's not just a boomer bust. He's like elite superstar or bust. Like, I, I that's like they, the two options with him. I hope they take their time with him though, because one of the things like, and I'm dating myself, but if you look at the Canadians, even since the fifties, they always had like a Norris trophy guy on the blue line and they had someone solid on the bench. So more recently, like in the eighties and nineties, they had Jacques Leperriere who won the Norris for years on the blue line for the Canadians. Right. And then you had, well, Serge Savard is the GM, but you had solid guys. Then we, you know, Stu Cowan's written about it. Like Larry Robinson wanted to come back. The cut, the club never put him on the bench, right? I just hope that we have the right coaching for. I think Struble got signed. We got some pretty good defensive prospects on the back end, but they typically need longer. Like a buddy of mine plays in the NHL and 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 in his defense, and like they take longer to develop in that way in that area. So I hope that he's got. Like I hope we don't rush him. Like I think you were saying, like let him play another year. Let him play like as long as it doesn't burn up his, you know, eligibility from an asset management perspective. Give him time to play and develop, and then bring him in. Like we don't need him next year, I don't think. No, I mean, if, if anything, it might hurt their chances of getting another top end pick. You know, like it, it, unless they get Connor Bedard this year, I think they will. They're very much in a similar situation heading into next year as they are in this year, and it'll probably be more difficult to be as far down the standings as they are just because of the fight the team has. And, you know, there's no way they could be this unhealthy for a third year in a row, right? There's no way. Maybe Nick Suzuki will finally miss a game. Knock on wood. We don't actually want that to happen. Little kids and Iron Man. But uh, it it is wild. I I think Hudson, especially with his size, you want him... To, to play not just next year, but maybe a third year in college. Get that time to build that muscle. Take your time with it. Get used to playing tough games. Get used to being the, the guy, right? Because it's one thing to dominate as a freshman and surprise everyone. Next year, everybody and their dog is going to be targeting Lane Hudson as a guy to shut down. So it's a big difference, I think, next year to well, see the- how he does. Players are bigger. Uh, the players are bigger. They're faster. You're also the other. The other issue is is that there's a grind with the National Hockey League schedule. Like, how, how are you going to handle early February? Like, how, you know, like you're just and you're flying from Winnipeg to you know, like you're going to St. Louis, right? It's 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 a grind. It's not like college hockey where they get a lot of days off. They track. They practice a lot. Like. It's different, right? It takes time. But I think if as long as it doesn't burn them from an asset management perspective or is, you know, years like to on his contract because they have to manage that, then let, let him play there. Yeah, 100%. Um, one other guy that I wanted to talk about tonight was uh, Jesse Ulinen, who scored again. He's been red hot lately and is another one of those guys who. He played really well last year when he got called up. He didn't really produce too much. And he took a while to start producing in Montreal this year as well. He he went like, geez, it seemed like it was like 20 games before he started scoring. 
might've been even more, but, uh, well, no, he's only played 28 games, so it couldn't have been 20 games, but he's up to five goals, excuse me, on the year now, putting big shots on that. I think that's the biggest thing for him is earlier in the season when he was up, like everyone knows that he has an absolute hammer of a one-timer, but he wasn't getting those opportunities. He wasn't finding space for himself to receive those kinds of passes or teammates weren't finding him. He's up now playing with guys like Nick Suzuki, uh, playing with Raphael Harvey Pinard, who he played with in Laval. And the shot that he took tonight was patented Ulanin if you watch Laval. And he's getting those shots now. He's scoring on those shots now. I think that, like, there's conversations around guys like Ulanin, Harvey Pinard, about whether they're going to be part of the actual team that becomes competitive a few years from now because he's 23, right? Which is a little bit old to graduate from the American Hockey League. Harvey Pinard's 24. But I look at those guys and I say, it's not about whether or not they're going to be part of that as like a top line score or anything like that. It, it's if you have those guys who can contribute consistently, but maybe not in a, top two line role that's just gravy like either you move them later for players that you need to fit like you you know there's always gaps in your roster you need to fill especially in the salary cap era or maybe Ulanin and Harvey Pinard end up being the two wings on a third line and you get like a killer third line center at some point which you know that might be Kirby Doc if the Canadians get a player like Fantilli or Bedard in this draft that's a pretty damn good third line especially for, for a team that's not in playoff contention yet. Like any team that's won the cup, you've got four solid lines. You're, you're rolling them. So I think from a depth perspective, and if they know how to play Martin San Luis hockey and they're bought into it, then, you know, uh, why would you, why would you deal them? Right. I, I, I sometimes like maybe it takes a little bit longer, but remember like David DeHalne back in the day, he, mm-hmm. he's been in the NHL for a while. He was a pretty serviceable centerman. I mean, I, I don't know, like ultimately he was on the top line with Pacioretty, but still, he he still performed well. So if these guys are a little bit older than, and they want to be in Montreal, who cares? Like, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if there needs to be that they have to be 21 in order at that point. Maybe his development curve is a little bit different. That's all. 100%. And I feel like Darren a is a prime example of a guy who, because the Canadians didn't really have much at center, yeah. Uh, he was elevated to a role that he wasn't necessarily suited for. And even though he played with an elite winger in Pacioretty who like pulled things forward uh, analytically, especially when Brendan Gallagher was on that line as well, people could see he was the, the weak cog on that line and he got tremendous amounts of hate for it. Yeah. Myself included, you know, as, as a young guy covering the team, I was way too harsh on David Dayarnay. But now, looking back on it, you think, well, this guy was just a, a really good player who was put in a position he shouldn't have been in, continued to perform, never really complained, and why would anybody hate that guy? <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense, but that's just the way, I think especially as a, as a young person, you kind of watch that when you're frustrated about the direction of the team and you want them to be better, sometimes you end up putting it on the players who are put in the wrong roles instead of the management team and coaching staff that can't figure it out. Well, I think they're also building up their depth overall everywhere. I mean, the one area I would say uh, when speaking to people before the, the, the show, I mean, was, 
goaltending is probably the one big question mark. Like, you know, besides that we have, you know, the argument could be made that Montembeau is a number three. He's not a one or two, um, you know, and then do they have really anyone in who's, who's in nets uh, that's in the, in, is in the pipeline really that's, it's doing well. So that, that's one area. Defense takes longer to develop players as we know. And then, you know, but they, they've got like, what was it? How many players did they have uh, prospects were at the world juniors this past year? It was a fair amount. There was uh, Hudson, Meshar, Joshua Waugh. Owen Beck got called up to Canada after an injury. There was more, too. Vin says Rohrer was there, but he was injured. Um, who else was he? Uh, they had Adam Engstrom, I think, for Sweden, and uh, Oliver Kapanen for Finland. Like There was a fair amount of guys there, to say the least. Well, the last time I remember that they had that many players at the World Juniors was like, prior to the 19, like around the 1984 year. And that's when they had that heavy draft when they had Soboda, Riche, Corson, Waugh, and, you know, a whole bunch of other players. And the year before they had guys like Mameso and Claude Lemieux. So they seem to be really packing up the, the you know, the, the cupboard, so to speak, where I think they've been bare for many years. 100%. And I should say, um, be careful not to discount uh sam montembeau in on this show the chat is very pro montembeau yeah, you no know, i i know i'm getting gonna get ripped like I, <laughs> I, I, I like tonight he had 40 shots so i i just don't know if if he's a number one i i'm not no, yeah how he played but hey i hope i'm proven wrong and i hope everyone in the chat rips me up and says no he's our starter next year you prick like there you go right so uh, I, I don't mind being proven wrong. <laughs> I, I don't mean to offend the Montembeau contingent. No, no. I, I think he's had a fantastic year overall. It might not show in like the overall numbers, but uh, when you look at the advanced metrics and like goals saved above expected, I believe he's like seventh or eighth in the league, which is crazy. He's uh, of his chance right now. There's no question. Like he played well tonight. Like he, kept he the- did. He made some spectacular saves and he's, he's kind of been the guy who's ruined the tank a lot of the season. Which, you know, there's some people who are probably pretty frustrated at him. But uh, overall, I, I'm happy for him because he put up with a terrible situation last year and then played through an injury to save Caden Primo's confidence, essentially, down the stretch last year. So I'm I'm a fan of uh, Sam Montembeau, the person, and I'm happy that he's having a good season this year. There's a couple how dare yous in the chat. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay. No, it, it's all good. It's all good. I can't retract that statement now. So uh, no, it's too late. There was a question. Uh, Big Bill says uh, in order to have all these young players on the roster, who are the veterans that can be moved next year? That's a tough one. I can tell you a list of the players who eventually need to be moved. I think going into next year, uh, I don't know about you, how familiar you are with like the contract lengths and all that, uh, Suleiman, but uh, I know Hoffman, has an expiring de- deal at the end of next season. So I think he's somebody who can be moved just based on how his overall play has improved under St. Louis. Hard too, I think, right? Or Edmondson? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Edmondson has an expiring contract after next year. I think he'll be dealt in the, in the summer. Savard has another year on, yeah. as does Christian Dvorak and Yoel Armia. Yeah. Those are the two that are, I think are going to be the toughest to move. Although apparently the Canadians got calls on Christian Dvorak this year. I was kind of shocked when I heard that because this is the second straight year where I think he's kind of just been terrible. <laughs> well, I think we're measuring him off of what we traded for him too. And you're dealing a first round 
per player, right? Like that's and that was interesting too when when you look at uh at Ken Hughes, like since he's been here. Let me ask you this question. How many first round draft picks did Mark Bergeron acquire during his tenure of the Montreal Canadiens? You know, do you already acquire? You know how many people know the answer to that question? I, I think it's zero. One. One? Kokinyemi. Was it to trade up? No, it was Kakanyemi, which is the, the when they signed him and the Habs couldn't do it. They had to get him as a compensation. Oh, right. <laughs> so and then so my next question to everyone in the chat is how many first round picks did Ken Hughes acquire? In his tenure so far as general manager, jeez, he's already got he got one for Toffoli, one for Monahan, yeah. one for Sherratt. Yeah. So that's three already. I feel go. like there's another one in there somewhere too. Well, uh, you one for uh, well, one for Toffoli, one for Sherratt, Romanov, which he flipped for Doc, right? Right. And then one for Monahan, where they also got Monahan. They got the first to take Monahan. So technically, that's four. That's a lot. It's a lot, right? So from an asset management perspective. I, I think he's he's there, but I, I believe that you need to also have some solid veterans in the lineup. Um, yep. Because look at Edmonton, like they had top first, first one, number one overall picks for years and it didn't go anywhere, right? So I think you need to have the right mix of players, but I think you do have to, I agree with the question, like you do have to make room for these young guys eventually, right? 100%. And that I think begs the question of, is it more important for some of these veterans to move them quickly to get some of these younger players reps than it is to get value for them back in trades? I know Kent Hughes so far has been very methodical in he asks his asks don't change. He makes big uh, asks for players and he just waits for people to buckle under the pressure and then gets exactly what he wants. That happened, I think, this year at the deadline where he heard offers for uh, Edmondson and didn't really like the returns. So he's just going to keep Edmondson. He's not on an expiring contract. He doesn't lose anything by keeping him. He just gets to keep him a little bit longer, and the kids love him, so who cares? But it I does it does make sense to eventually, you got to make a decision to move some of these guys out. I know uh, Big Bill, again, adds to his question. He says the biggest elephant in the room mm. is Brendan Gallagher. And last year around this time, I was big on the opinion that like Brennan Gallagher has such a long history of elite level five on five play five on five scoring that after last year with all those injuries, I thought it was just not fair and kind of ludicrous to think of him like moving him in the summer, right? At his worst possible value, all that. It, it just seemed like a terrible idea to me. However, Brennan Gallagher this year, outside of a few short stretches, has not been back. And he, again, has suffered injury after injury after injury. He's got lots of years left at a pretty rich contract. Yeah. I don't even know what they can do, honestly. I, I, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe you trade him to, 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 to Phoenix just to the Coyotes, like everyone else, right? Because obviously we need a National Hockey League team there as opposed to a place like Quebec City. But, you know, that's a different conversation. Um, I, I, personally, I don't know if you're going to get a team that's going to grab them for the length and the duration of the contract. But I do think he, the kids, the, the I, from what I hear, the younger players love him. He's a leader. Uh, you, you know, I mean, part of the reason he's injured is he plays like a human pinball all the time, right? So he's fearless. 
I think you want that kind of a player in the locker room and on the ice where he's banged up, but it's going to become a cap management issue too. Eventually, like he's on a still, he's still got like how much term does he have left? And he's like, it's not like five or five and a half or six a year on his contract. After, after this season, he has four more years at six point five, which would bring him to I think thirty four years old, which is not the worst contract in the league and. I think the thing for Gallagher is to be worth $6.5 million a year with the way that he plays, it doesn't really take that much. If you like, he doesn't need to be the 30 goal Brennan Gallagher that we saw with like the Tatar Dano line where he was like the, the scorer on that line, right? He doesn't need to be that necessarily. If he can chip in like 15 to 20 goals, be relatively healthy and play that hard-nosed game, draw some penalties, he's probably still close to worth that, maybe worth more like 4.5, but, you know, in, in an ideal world, you you pay him 4.5, but that's not what we have. We're still dealing with Bergevin's contract shenanigans. Well, if we get, so, get Connor Bedard, maybe, then we have him on his wing, and he's riding shotgun for him, and then we go. Like, I'm, I'm just there you go. that the hockey gods smile on us because the form ghost left the building. I still don't think they've come back. So hopefully maybe they'll finally say, okay, it's your turn now and we get that guy and let's see. Yeah, a Trizak in the comments says he wants to see Gallagher next season with Doc and Slavkovsky. If you can't make it work with them, it's time to try to move on. I love the idea in theory. I like that line. I really Yeah, like but they played Gallagher with Slav a bunch this season and the two were like opposite chemistry. They could not get it going. I don't know why. Maybe that comes with, you know, Slavkovsky taking a step next year and being more used to North American ice. Maybe he'll work better with Gallagher. But so, like, this year it didn't work very well. My my thought that I kind of put out there a few times early in the season when Gallagher was playing all right was, why not? I know they're small. All three of them are small. But why not put him with Suzuki and Caulfield? He can be their, their forechecking guy that gets the puck loose for them. I feel like Raphael Harvey Pinard is probably better in that spot at this point. But if you if you want to get value out of Gallagher, you got to put him in a position to score. And I feel like the Canadians have pretty consistently been putting him on the third line the last couple of years and without much like playing mostly with Christian Dvorak, who again has not been great. They don't have any chemistry. You got to give him something to work with, I think. Well, Dvorak's not. Like, look, let's be honest. He's in, based on what I've seen. He's not capably defensively like Matthew Deneau was. No. Right. Each one of them, that line of Tatar, Deneau, and Gallagher, each contributed a unique skill to complement to the others. Um, you know, uh, he's just Dvorak's just not defensively as responsible as Deneau was. Right. And 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 then you know Tatar didn't have to be because he had Gallagher going in the corners and stuff and. Deneau was responsible defensively, and Tatar was your trigger man, right? So you just, if you can put those pieces together, then maybe that's it. I don't know. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I think Dvorak was just a bad trade. It was a desperation move. We needed something when we lost Kakanyemi. Yeah, that was typical Bergevin, right? Where he's backed into a corner, and instead of waiting a little bit or, you know, circling back to Deneau, yeah, who he didn't offer a contract the whole lot or half of the 2021 season, because he was upset that he didn't immediately take his contract. It's wild. I don't know. It, at the same time, they probably wouldn't have been able to tank with Deneau in the lineup. He's pretty damn good. And who knows? He's probably happier in, in LA anyway, getting to play with the uh, 
Kopitar and those guys and that team's in like coming out of their rebuild in a, in a really strong way. Uh, Romelli in the chat says, resign Gurianov. I say, hell yeah. Uh, I concur and say, yeah, I think he's uh, already shown what the Canadians want him to show. I think there's, there's players that, um, what was the quote that Martin San Luis said? Like he's not writing off a player at 21 or even 25 because they, and, and if you look at him, people wrote him off, right? He was with mm-hmm. the organization. They dismissed him. He went to Tampa Bay and he let it up. Right. So, I think he's a player's coach, and I, I absolutely, I was happy when I when he when they made that trade for Gurianov because he's he's a, he's a first round pick. And he still did pretty well a couple of years ago. He had an off year, so I agree. I just I don't know about you, but I have nightmares when we play Tampa because I see Sergachev back there, and it just seems to be this history of us trading good defensemen. We go back to Chris Chelios, now you know for Danny Savard, and then we look at Scott Gomez for Ryan McDonough, and then we traded. Sergeyev for Durant's like, oh my god, like it's just painful. And and I don't know if you can see that jersey in the back. One of my clients is from Tampa, so I bet him one time when the Habs were playing the the Bolts that you know the Habs would win. And he was like, no, the Bolts are going to win. And and then we loser buys dinner, right? And then I said, look, if we're really men of conviction, loser wears the winning team's jersey at dinner. And this was a couple of years ago. Habs are on a roll. I'm I'm all cocky because his price is playing well. They go into Tampa and they just think out the joint. I get no. a, I get a smiley text from him at the end of the game. I'm like, you prick. And then and then and then and then I tell him, okay, you won the bet. I'll pick up dinner. But I'm like, I regret to inform you, I'm not a Tampa fan. Never been a Tampa fan, and I don't have a jersey. So you're out of luck. But I'll see you for dinner and I'll pick up the tab. And two days later, I was traveling. My wife texts me, there's a FedEx package that's arrived for you. <laughs> I had to wear that damn Tampa jersey at dinner at a restaurant in Montreal before a game. And all the staff were looking at me. I just hope they didn't spit in my food. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is actually ironic that you bring that up because this is the eighth year anniversary of I made a bet with Adam Wilde, who's one of the CEOs of this company that the Canadians would win the season series uh, with the Maple Leafs and his punishment. We each had to buy a Jersey of the opposing team with certain things on it. But uh, the Jersey he had to wear had my name on it, but it was Jerkshire number 69 and he had to wear it around for the day. So there's a video on my Twitter. If you want to go check that out, but uh, we ended up selling that Jersey (laughs) for sure. We ended up selling that Jersey for charity. So it was, uh, I believe it benefited really? Easter Seals. So, yeah, good bets that uh, end up benefiting people in need. So all, everybody won in the end with that one. Uh, yeah, with Garyanov, I remember when the trade was made, the big stipulation that people were like, oh, this could be bad, was that uh, he has, if you, quali- if you want to qualify him as a restricted free agent, mm. the qualifying offer has to be at least $2.9 million. And everyone was like, oh, $2.9 million. Dude's scoring at a 37 goal pace right now. Do <laughs> I think he'll continue that? No. But if he scores at half that, will I pay him $2.9 million and hope that he improves the rest of his game as well? Yes. Yeah. Without question. I, I think it's it's like the doc trade. I, I think where Chicago regrets that move, I think Dallas is going to regret moving Gurianov. Unless he was like a a cancer in the locker room or something and caused all kinds of problems or I don't know. 
I to me, I think he's a he's a great pickup, and I don't think he's one of those Bergevin special deals where he trades like a a fourth liner for a fourth liner, or you know, or sometimes you're lucky you pick up like a Byron off the waiver wire type of deal. Like I I think he's a good player. Yeah, Bergevin I'm, was pretty good at the waiver wire overall. I will give him that. Yeah, but you don't win a championship team by being a master of the waiver wire, right? <laughs> Well, it's it's one ingredient for sure, but uh, it's not the ingredient to be bragging about. All right. Uh, uh, yeah, Paul says that Dallas had no room for Gurionov and Dodonov is doing well for them. Yeah, I mean, they're looking to compete and Guriana wasn't fitting in this year. Like the trade made sense from both perspectives. It's just the Canadians, I think, clearly got the better overall return. Um, so UFA too, right? Like, so then that's the other thing. Whereas Gurianov still has, I think, a year of term, does he not? Or no, he said he's RFA. So, yeah, he, yeah, he's an RFA. So the Canadians can qualify him and uh, keep him at least another year. Uh, Trinka83 says, I saw in an interview with Martin St. Louis where he said that the best players get multiple chances. Uh, players with something to prove get one. He likes to give players more than one chance no matter how they play. Oh, I absolutely love that. It's a great quote. It is a fantastic quote. And obviously something that makes complete sense for Martin St. Louis' career. Yeah. Right? This is why, like, just listening to what he has to say, he's probably the most interesting coach for post-game interviews that I've ever encountered. Like, he always has some little quotable thing in there that makes you think, think about the game a little bit differently or something, but, like, the presence he must have walking into the room. Like, how can you question Martin St. Louis if he says, like, you need to work harder? You know, you, you just can't. No, no one can say anything to him. He's, he's wanted, right? And he's, and he's gone the hard route. And I, I actually think it's going to help the Canadians because I think, you know, in some ways you're like, well, do I want to go to this city because of taxation or the weather or these other factors. Right. But I think the other factor is people are going to be like, I want to go play for him. Like he's going to make me a better player or I'm not doing well here. Like I don't like my coach. Whereas this guy's got to just a fresher, different approach on doing things. Like, you, you, you know, sometimes you watch teams, any pro team, you look at them and you can see they're loose, even when they're losing, but they're loose. They're, their body language, the way they're talking, the way they interview with the media, the way they engage with fans. Like, even like they showed it on hockey night in Canada tonight. Some lady went up to him during the game and tried to get a selfie with him. And he's like, I'm coaching. Right. But he, he didn't, you know, he didn't, he wasn't like, uh, you know, he wasn't rude. He was just like, no. Right. You know, but come <laughs> and tried. Maybe she's wearing a Habs jersey. She's wearing a, a lightning jersey. So maybe that was it. But still, like, I just think that it's really loose and that allows the players under the pressure to perform. And, you know, and that's something that like, I learned in this book by Dr. Amber Selkig, who's a, a sports psychologist. She worked with the University of Notre Dame and NFL teams. And, uh, you know, she's got a great TED Talk, if anyone wants to watch it, just on psychology and how people think. And I think that's a factor, too, because they can have the the, the technical skills, the, the physical skills. But if they're mentally not there, it doesn't matter. Yep. Look at Drouin. Look at Stefan Riche. Like, these guys could put the puck in the net. I'm dating myself now. I'm going really old school. Some people are probably Googling right now. I'm like, who's he talking about? But but I, I, I think that's the dimension he brings in. And I think free agents and I think other players where maybe they may have no trade clauses or no 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 trade movements may say, oh, you know what? Actually, I'm going to reconsider Montreal because he's there. Yep. 
Uh, Big Bill says there are reports already of other players calling Habs players, asking them about how it is to play for Martin St. Louis. Montreal's becoming a destination again. I, I think they, it might not be right now still because everyone knows they're rebuilding. But in a couple of years from now, I would not be surprised to see like some large free agency moves from the Montreal Canadiens that people wouldn't normally expect because this team has had trouble selling the market to players. But what you touched on, Suleiman, I think is really important. And uh, this will be the last thing we talk about, and then uh, we'll wrap the show up. So everybody, please uh, like the stream if you're enjoying the show. It helps uh, the show grow. But you mentioned Martin St. Louis being uh, like a, a presence that helps the players feel loose. Yeah, I think that's especially important in this market. We oh. talked a lot last year about things that the new management group could bring to help, uh, especially young players, be a little bit more insulated in this market, which can be very harsh, right? Montreal can be a great place to play when you're winning, where everybody's on your side, everybody wants a high five in the street. But when you're losing or you're in a big scoring drought, it can also be a harsh place to play, whether it's fans or media. Things can get a little bit personal. You know, uh, Scott Gomez can attest to it with the whole did Scott Gomez score uh, website that was made when he went without a goal for about a year. Yeah. You know, Jonathan Duran can attest to it. But I think outside of management, having a coaching staff that's generally positive and consistently puts every player that they can in positions to succeed and clearly isn't there to run guys down, that is an insulation that, like, if you're getting it from the media, getting it from the fans, the last thing you want to do is go into work and get shit on by your coach. Right? Nobody wants to get pulled into the video room by Michel Therrien and told that they don't deserve to be in the league. Having people approach things from as a coaching staff in a positive manner, I feel like that's just such a breath of fresh air. Well, and you, you you know, you alluded to it like Brian Burke. What was his quote? Montreal's a tough town to play because they tell you you suck in two languages. Yep. Right. So, but the but the but the fans, I think, in Montreal, we we have an expectation. Like we have an expectation that you leave it all on the ice. You know, like my favorite player, one of mine anyways, was Brian Scrudlin. Couldn't skate very well. This is old school, but he worked, right? Like that's the thing you look at a guys like Steve Bejan, even more recently, like he worked, right? Like that's what we want. I, and I think the fans are willing to be patient if they're working and he's got them working. Like I think those guys, those players, how many, they, they missed basically a full lineup tonight. Like they, they dressed the guy to sit because they didn't have enough players, Right. And 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 they went the distance with like the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion. Like they wanted to win for San Luis tonight. I'm sure they wanted to win for him tonight. So with like eleven guys out guys, like, injured, right? Of people that aren't even on NHL, you can't find like they're in their lineup, right? So like, um, I, I think I think he's done a, a really good job. I'll admit, I thought when they hired him, I thought it was a joke. I thought this is just what do I know about hockey, right? Like the guy has just really done a, a really good job. I think he's keeping the locker room light. And imagine that's in a tough season when you're like, and you have a potential to win the first overall pick. How are they going to look when they're winning? Yeah. Right. No like, kidding. I, I, I think, I think the team's going to be a treat to watch, but we're going to have to be patient. We're going to have to suffer for a while, but 
I think you, they got to keep them there. That's the main thing, like keep them there. And you know, the other thing you mentioned actually earlier was about the scouts. I think Gordon and Hughes have enough connections to scouts that I think there's other scouts and other teams. And when their term contracts end, they're going to come to Montreal. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But it takes time. You can't just get them all right away, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. It, it, it's funny. I think there are things about this organization that I think they haven't necessarily followed, followed through on overall so mm. far. But I, I think sometimes we forget how young this management group is, not in terms of like their ages, but how long it's been since they took over, right? It's just been over a year for Kent Hughes being in the organization. But like, I know they, they made big promises uh, in their first big interview with Kent Hughes about, uh, you know, bringing diverse voices into the organization. And like uh, Chantal's great on the PR side of things. Uh, Mary Fleet Poulin, fantastic, but part-time. You know, they're, they're ha- they haven't really made that happen overall to, to at least the standard that I would like to set for them as hockey's marquee franchise. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to. I think the pressure still needs to be put on them to continue uh, pushing diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, diversity of background yeah. in hockey operations. Yeah. But uh, you break you make a great point with contracts. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the person you want isn't available. I I I I think I think with with Hughes, it's going to get to a point where other GMs don't want to take calls from them. Like they're going to yep. like they're just going to be like, oh man, I'm going to lose, right? Like I'm going to lose. I I don't want to take what he's offering. Like when Steve Eiserman called a trade Joanne for Sergachev, like Bergeron should have been like, I'm not picking up the phone because it's Steve Eiserman, right? Should have. Know, and I wish him success. Like I hope Joran does well. Like it's, I wish he do well. I think Montreal's desperate for a French superstar. We haven't had one in a long time, but you know, there's a lot of pressure in this marketplace too, right? So, you know, um, and you know, and obviously he's got men- there's mental health issues and things. So I, you know, I I hope he does well. I think you're right. I hope that other issue that happens just blows over. But um, I. I I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Like I fingers crossed that we, we get some good draft picks and stuff and they, they continue to push forward. Absolutely. And there was a comment there saying, imagine Connor Bedard with Martin St. Louis. Holy, that would be wild. Yeah. And everyone else saying that'll break my heart when it doesn't happen. We never know. There's a chance. Well, still a lot, chance lot draft lottery, but, but even if let's say we didn't get Bedard, what I'm reading um, when I was talking to Bob McKenzie, is that the and then even someone like Frank Cervelli, the, the draft's deep. Like even if we don't there. get one, they're like even if we got one to nine, I think or ten, like they're all good players, right? So and if Florida keeps doing crappy, and even better, there's a shot that we've got a couple picks there, right? Yeah, unfortunately the Panthers won again tonight, but uh, yeah, hopefully they fall apart here soon. Yeah, stupid Panthers ruining that first round pick for the Canadians, but. Anyway, that's all we have for you tonight on Game Over Montreal. Thank you so much, Suleiman, uh, for joining me here. And thanks to everyone for sticking it out on this uh, season where the Canadians lose most of their games, just like last year. And uh, we appreciate you very much. We can't wait until this team is in a con- not even a contending mode, but just pushing playoffs. And then it'll be real fun. I feel like we're going to have a lot of fun on this show. But uh, before we close things out, Suleiman, is there anything you want to promote? No, no, I want to thank you and STPN for having me on. And uh, my apologies to the Montembeau contingent if I offended it. 
All right. Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook.